Welcome to the Fire Time Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Fire Time Podcast. Well, hey, this is an episode that I have been excited to have for quite a while, and I'll give you a little bit of context to this. So one of the things that has kind of been on my heart for the last couple of years is to talk to more and more people that are in the process of taking over or have taken over businesses in our industry and are now the second or the third generation owner. I think that our industry is at a turning point where it's been happening for a couple years, but I think over the next five to 10 years, there are going to be a lot of transitions of power. And the hope would be that people that are younger can can come up and, and, and rise to the occasion and, and take on these companies and bring them somewhere else into the future. But I don't see that happening in many different markets that I go into. And so it's really, really cool when we see young people that are taking the mantle and being champions for their business and for our industry. So this week, I am talking to my good friends, Daniel and Kyle. And we were kind of laughing as we were planning this. We were hoping to actually do this in person. We end up seeing each other a handful of times each year, but we live on different sides of the country and it just wasn't in the cards to have this conversation in person. So we did the next best thing. We got together on Zoom and we had a nice long chat about leadership and about running a business and taking over a legacy company. And I think that there is a lot here. And so as you listen to this episode today, I'm not sure where you're at specifically, but maybe you're in a position where you're somebody that's younger and you feel like, is now my time to step up? Is there an opportunity that, that I, I need to just have the courage to push into? Or are you older and, and, you're, and you're looking around saying, you know, who, who is that next person that I can identify to, to hand the reins off to? I hope that this conversation has something for you. And so with that, I'm going to jump out of the way so you can listen to it. I'm going to share some thoughts on the back end because I think there's some really, really cool things that we push into in this conversation. But for now, get out a pen and paper and enjoy this conversation with my good friends, Kyle and Daniel. Joining me from Providence, Rhode Island in Seattle, Washington are the Sultan Supreme and Conquistador del Presidente of Sutter Home and Hearth and the Fireplace Showcase. Did I get your titles right, guys? Uh, it's You're missing a couple of titles, but it's close. <laughs> okay. I'm here today with Kyle Titsworth and Daniel Hammer. What's up, guys? Hola. How are we doing, Tim? I'm good. I've, I've been working on those titles for about 15 minutes. I was excited they rolled off the tongue so well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored. Then I want to know who's who, but yeah, we can wait. We can wait till later. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I think, I think Daniel's the conquistador. Well, my staff does Take tend it. to call me the colonizer, so but I don't think it's under a good intent. <laughs> well, guys, <laughs> I've been excited about this conversation for a while. So we have met up in person a number of times. We live on opposite sides of the country. And a handful of times every year, we tend to end up in the same place. And it's always a really good conversation. And you two are just people that I really respect and have, have just loved the friendships that I've grown with you. And on top of that, I think you're great business people. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation today to give a little bit of context first. So Daniel, you were on the podcast a couple of years ago talking actually about the transition of ownership and you were on 
with Mike, who was one of the guys that you bought the business from. And, you know, today we're going to be talking specifically about the transition of, of business as well. But could each of you guys just maybe give a, a little bit of an origin story to, to how you got to where you are? Maybe starting with you, Kyle. Yeah, so um, this is a family business for me. My father started uh, the Fireplace Showcase back in 1999, uh, stemmed off from a Manesson distributorship. And when the distributorship kind of fizzled out in 2006, he had taken it into a direction of a contractor showroom and then into a retail showroom um, back in that time. Um, you know, school breaks, back back for summer, back for winter. Um, I was always being called upon to, you know, help out. And then um, back in 2018, when uh, I had graduated college, I was out, I was actually traveling in Europe, and my dad called me around Thanksgiving. And uh, he said, hey, you know, uh, would you like to help out around the shop? We're, we're a little bit short-staffed this winter, and we could, we could use a little help. So... Um, I, I said, yes, uh, you know, I'll, I'll check it out for a year or two. And uh, here I am still here and uh, paving new roads, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. And I always forget how young you are, too. Like, because how old are you, Kyle? 28? I'm 28. 28, yeah. So so you got started at a young age and you saw your dad growing up in the business. So you have you have inherited and started to take over a legacy family business. So, but Daniel, for you, you took over a legacy business as well, but it just didn't have the family connection, right? Yes. I was so, uh, similar to, similar to Kyle, I was tricked into it. Um, and, uh, I think that most origin stories might be different, but like where it ends up is usually the same older craftier men tricking younger, more gullible <laughs> men into getting into a, getting into a position that they're probably not ready for. Um, so for me, um, I started in the hearth industry in 2000. Um, I think that's when my W2 started. I was doing under the table work for that. So, um, and just kind of a lot of people like doing installs and helping my brother and things like that. And I ended up working for the company that my brother's install company worked for. Um, and then I worked at that company for over 10 years. My brother ended up being a partner in that business. And, um, I ended up, you know, manager, branch manager, um, sales manager, all of the different titles. Um, I think the only thing, only job I really haven't done in the, uh, in a hearth store is I've never really actually shot service as a paid technician, but I've, uh, managed it and I've, um, definitely done some service calls uh, when I had to. Um, and then, uh, you know, put my way through college, um, while working in the hearth industry and then, uh, uh ended up coming to a point where, I needed to move on and I, I left the company I was with, uh, which was tough and I loved it and we had a lot of great things there, but it just wasn't, I don't think it was the path for me at that time and uh, um, ended up working for a company called Sutter Home and Hearth. I met the owner the first day I ever randomly walked into Sutter Home and Hearth, um, one of the owners, because there's two of them, um, and I just ran into this guy who was stocking shelves and he started quizzing me and it turns out that was one of the guys who owned it. And I remember him very mm. distinctly telling me if, if I ever got tired of commuting down to my job that I should call him. And I remember thinking, ah, you know, I'm not here looking for a job. I just was dropping in because it's a hearth store in Seattle. I didn't know that was a thing. So fast forward a year or two later and I actually get tired of commute and I called him and he remembered. Um, and that's how I got a job at the company. And then uh, I worked for John and his business partner, Mike, for a couple of years. Um, and then I was almost left the industry because I uh, kind of got to the end of what I thought my road was for a hearth. And, um, uh, they ended up making me an offer that I couldn't refuse in craftier 
older men uh, duping younger, more gullible men. Then uh, uh, they promoted me to general manager, and I then uh, helped them run their company for the next several years, and then bought it in 2018, and here I am. So we're almost almost yeah. to the end of the buying it journey, and it'll be 100% mine by the end of this year. So um, all joking aside, I would say it's been a wonderful journey, and I'm very fortunate to have had the opportunities I've had. A little bit longer, more winding path, I think, than Kyle's, but that, it ended yeah. up at the same place. Yeah. Well, so I want to I want to highlight this. So both of you guys took over a legacy business in different ways. So Kyle, you know, you you have come into a leadership position of a business that, you know, even on the retail side, is pushing 20 years old. Daniel's was older than that, maybe 25, 30 years old. And so the, the question that I have is coming into a legacy business like Kyle, you're coming in as the boss's kid. Like, how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, as the as the boss's kid, um, it was tough at first. Um, there's a lot of kind of friendly relationships that I had, and you know, a lot of joking around that would go on with um, you know myself and the existing employees. You know, partially because when they've always seen me as the boss's kid, I was the helper that came in time to time, and yeah. then when I started in the business, we. You know, I, I jumped into a kind of a desk position that was taking care of some of the guys in the field, and it took me a while to learn to learn the industry, um, even from that exactly from that seat. One of the things that I've heard over the past couple of years that I that I have looked back on and really wish that I had internalized was um, what Dave Rettinger's talked about. In that, you know, when he when he had a question, he'd put it on the phone and he'd turn to his employees and say you know, let me ask my manager and ask the guys that have been there before him. And I, I've, I've really respected that and, you know, thought that was a great idea. I spent a lot of time on the phone with our manufacturers trying to figure that out. These guys, a lot of the people that have been there, um, our controller, um, some of our lead installers, lead sales people have been there you know, since I was about six years old, realizing that these people have been here a, a lot longer than me and I'm coming into a um, position where, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to jump to a leadership role has been something I've just been working on and need, need to keep in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. Daniel, for you, so you were already the general manager. Was it a pretty smooth transition to you becoming an owner? What was it like taking over a legacy business that was very, very established? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's an interesting question. I've worked management for the almost the I'd say the majority of my career now at this point, um, and you know, work closely with um, owners um, and work closely with um, other man, you know, senior folks. Um, and so you, as you watch, as you watch other people and try to learn from them, right? Trying to learn like what what are the things I should do, what are the things I shouldn't do, and. And how many, how, how do I get prepared? And hey, I'm going to go get a business degree now, right? I'm going to have a management degree and that's going to really help me sharpen these, these skills. So I'm ready to do whatever the next step is in, in this uh, progression. And so by the time you get to the point, okay, now I'm going to buy the company. Um, and now I'm going to be the president or I'm going to be the owner, um, the sole shareholder. Um, the moment that you sign that paperwork, you realize you don't know anything. The transition is very fast and the learning curve is very steep. And it's really the feelings of, you know, Kyle has in terms of like, you know, who are my, who are the, you know, who are the old hands, who are the senior guys who can help guide me in the process. It's the same thing that I had to recognize and I already recognize. I usually deferred to people who are more experienced to me and tried to, 
you know, incorporate them into uh, my decision making. But when you actually, you know, ink the deal and, you know, and, you know, the, the two owners kind of fly the coop, the old, the, the guys that were the people that were really kind of, you know, doing all the things that you didn't realize were even really getting done. That's when the real course starts. That's when the real education starts. And you start learning a lot more about <clears throat> how do you make decisions that are, uh really going to be effective not only for whatever you're doing at that moment but are going to be things that can you know work departmentally and can work for the whole company and there are things that are repeatable and things that are um you know not going to be things that seem like they're rushed or seem like they're uh too too you know like you're being favoriting different situations or being thoughtless and like you kind of feel like when you first start doing it that it's like you can make edict decisions now like okay i'm going to you know, stroke of the pen, we're going to do this stroke of the pen, we're going to do that. And you learn very quickly. It doesn't, that's not how it works, right? Like you have to have collaboration, you have to have coordination. Um, I mean, I can't effectively change the letterhead of my company without talking to a handful of people about it. So, <laughs> um, and that's not because I'm a bad leader. I think that it actually means it's because I'm be trying to become a great leader and realizing that you can't, you can't have fiat decision-making. You have to be able to incorporate yeah. the folks that are within your team. There's this also this spiritual philosophical change that happens when like you're in the chair. Yeah. Um, and especially if you're looking at it as something that's greater than yourself that you are now responsible for, it could be intimidating. I think there are people that get in trouble because they look at it like, oh, like, you know, the classic refrain is like, oh, they treat it like their piggy bank or they try to run the business, you know, you'll see their lifestyle change depending on how well the business is doing, sure. right? Like yeah. that it, it's a, it's kind of an extension of themselves. Um, and I think that really trying to be concerned about like, no, I'm, I have a, I have a fiduciary duty here. I have a, I have a duty to care for the resources here and try to take care of the 20, 25 people to work, work for me and for the legacy that I've been, uh, that I've inherited. And then also being fortunate enough, like I was to have two very ethical, you know, mentors that ran the company and always made decisions that were best for the company. And John and Mike are both very wealthy men. They've done very well, but because they made decisions like that, because they thought of the company first, it always took care of them. And it's definitely a different, it's a different thing when you get in that position, you know, like you have to kind of, you have to transition to that. And I'm almost five years in now. I'll be five years in at 20 in 2024. Um, maybe a little bit longer than that. And I still like, I just this year feel like I've really started to realize how much more I have to learn and not in a bad way. Like I really started to finally just get a view on like, Oh, there's so much more to do here. And it's, it's more encouraging than it is discouraging. The first generation grows the business by their blood, their sweat and their tears. There's no one to work in it, but them they're scrapping and clawing for everything. And I, and I think that that really is required to grow a business to a point. But when you come in to a legacy business as a second generation owner, it, it's a different ball game because I, th I think one of the things that is difficult for some of the first generation owners is allowing things to stretch further than their arms can go, right? And when you become that second generation owner, you have tools and resources that weren't there when the business started. And it's now about working smart and, and you do work hard where you need to, but the answer to every question isn't just work harder, push harder. It's what can we do to solve this problem permanently? What can we do to think a couple steps ahead to make sure that we're building something that's going to last and have infrastructure? And, and I think that you can't have that without the hard work that was done to build the business. Like the first generation is necessary. I say that like I'm, I am in a first generation business that I'm building right now. And there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that comes with it. But if that was to get passed on to somebody else when the business is larger and has more resources, it's a different game. And Kyle, I'm, I'm curious like if that resonates with you or what, what that's been like for you. 
Yeah, it absolutely does. The first generation knows where every single stud in the house was and the electrical wire was and, you know, put up the sheetrock and drove every nail. And, you know, it's a level of, you know, intimacy. It's a little level of intimacy that uh, with the business, no nobody else will ever get. And um, as I've kind of thought about that, digested that a little bit, I, I feel more like the interior designer of the business. You mm. know, I'm moving furniture around, I'm repainting walls, I'm you know, I'm refining the things that um, were built on the foundation and, you know, trying to trying to move things around to make them more efficient or make yeah. them flow better. Being built on a strong foundation is key. I honestly think what we've inherited is it, it, is the conceptually, you know, from a marketing standpoint, you'd call it the brand. But, we, you know, I, I agree with Tim that we don't really build a brand internally. We do. And I guess maybe really from a, a higher view, it's the core values of the company is what we've inherited. The things that were done for the last, you know, 25 years or 42 years, like it is, you know, 43 with Sutter, the, the ethics and the heart and the customer service and the care and the, um, the, the blood, sweat and tears and all of those things make this kind of spiritual menagerie of this business. That's the first generation portion of it that, and don't get me wrong, John and Mike didn't have no systems. They had plenty. They have pretty well-organized business for the most part. But when you get to where you're now the second generation, it's like, okay, well, now I want to take the foundation of the business, like Kyle was saying, which is like all of that goodwill, all of that good effort, all of that good ethic of like how we're going to take care of our customers, you know, how we're going to do, how we're going to, you know, do the right thing and how we're going to um, make sure that we understand what we're doing. We're going to make sure we take care of our customers, our suppliers and all of those other things. And now in addition to that, uh, we have to, one, recognize that we don't have one guy doing everything, which is what was happening at the showcase, I'm sure. Or in my case, two guys doing everything, which is what was happening at Sutter for sure. In terms of all the management was running through one person or two people. It's like, well, no, we can't do that anymore, right? If we're going to expand the company and we're going to spread this influence, we're going to, you know, blow this wall out and build an addition over here. Like, we have to have different people empowered for different things. And then we have to also be able to take take this core essence of what this business is. And we got to be able to turn it into something that we can share with the rest of the team and say, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. Um, and now we've got to, I hate to say, you got to corporatize it a little bit. You got to bring the systems in, but you have to bring the meaning behind it or we have nothing because that's all this industry is built on. It's the meaning, it's the, it's the relationships, it's the customer service, it's the real care, it's being a small business and in a community and being the people that people can go to and they can trust on complex things. And get a real experience like all of that has to stay but you then also have to say it can't just be one guy doing everything it can't just be you know we're gonna we're gonna nail these work orders up to this wall and then the purchaser comes through and grabs them sometimes and then makes the orders you know like we got to do something like there's got to be a process here it's got to be a thing and um I, I think that um i think that that's a really good point tim that you were made with with kyle and that kyle's making it's like that's what our job is is to say okay well how do we how do we export this goodness? You know, like how do we make this tree produce more juice for many more yeah. people, right? What's what's an example of something in your business that had a good foundation, but you've been able to kind of take it to the next level because of the foundation that was laid? So I think one of those things is um, the warehouse, and we have we're lucky to have a pretty big space. We have an old movie theater that we we housed in, and then we built a building <laughs> behind it. Um, yeah. Have you be, been in Kyle's showroom? A total of about Daniel? No, I, I, I'm just, I'm no, not, Dan's never been there. Oh, <laughs> I, I thought you'd been like there with me. Out. All right. Yeah. So I very well could have yeah. seen it. I've not seen it. I was really actually laughing because my business is in the city of Seattle and I have a 1200 square foot showroom 
and like a 6,000 square foot warehouse. <laughs> so. Yeah, so we're lucky to have our space. And we have taken our warehouse from, you know, a, a place that had everything we needed, had a little corner for everything. And even that little corner, and I, I wrote about this in the, um, the Firetime magazine, had that corner of like things that someone will need someday and developed it into more of an organized space where we're having rows of jobs that are picked and organized by date and jobs are being pulled up and pulled forward and items on the shelf that are older and obsolete have tags on them with prices and sale prices and people know that they're there so we're we're becoming more organized in in that fashion I mean, from seeing from seeing your warehouse, I I've been blown away at how clean it is. I I mean, I see you know a number of warehouses in my travels, and man, yours is yours is top flight. And and even just what you've done with the showroom too. I mean, how many? I mean, you got to be over 120, 130 displays. Like you got a lot of displays, and the showroom keeps getting better and better too. Yeah, well, we're incredibly lucky to have um, to have a full time warehouse manager. And uh, he takes a lot of pride just in, in the space that he operates in. And um, if he's not actively doing something, he's in that 30,000 square foot space sweeping the floors. I mean, he, he really cares about that space and uh, treats it as his own. So um, we found the right person for that. And, um, you know, can't say enough good things about um, our warehouse manager. That's really um, good. In our, in our showroom, we have taken it from a 3,000 square foot space, added um, an extra thousand square feet in the last year. We, up until for for about for the last 20 years, we've had the old movie theater rug. If you can picture it, it's the the blue rug with the little checkered squares. <laughs> it's got the posts for the red the red velvet, red velvet rope, and it has like the, the like the lights, like the in ground lights, like circular lights in there too, right? The in ground lights, speakers in the ceiling, yeah the octagonal popcorn stand in the middle. And um, this year we took everything out of that and we really redid it. And we put new carpet in, we put new displays in, we reorganized everything we had. And this is something, Tim, that you've helped me a lot with. That we, we reorganized everything in a very meaningful way. And the to start, one of the first things that we, we did was we put everything, put the, put the new construction fireplaces inside this octagon. We have eight new construction fireplaces that were dedicated as fireplaces that were bigger than your average framing. And then Tim, you helped me think about this is, is we have a, a wall in the back. That's the new or the remodel wall, which has a, you know, a slimline five and slimline seven and a 6,000 or six KX. Now that, that, you can tear out an old Manesson or Superior or Dessa or whatever it may be fireplace. And it doesn't really matter what the fireplace is. The framing size was at one point 42 by 38 yeah. and it was 16 or 22 deep. And we can fit that thing back. So I think one of the things that we've done well in the last couple of years um, to answer your question is we've reorganized our space to make it more of a, a flow yeah, um, very intentionally put product in the in the in the right space to make yeah. that to make that work for the customer. I think we talked about this last time you came to my came to my store was, you know, if you walk into a store, I, I think I, I told you I walked into an old Navy and I walked in and I looked up 
and I stopped at the door and I, I looked up and I didn't know where I was going because there was no sign hanging from the ceiling saying men's clothing is over yeah. here. And that has kind of stuck with me. And I, I, we're actually creating signs in yeah. our showroom that will say pellet, wood, yes. gas, inserts, service, yes, sales. Yeah. New construction you know, fireplaces, remodel fireplaces. New construction. Yes. Yep, absolutely. And um, so I think, I, again, back to your question has been one of those things that we um, have approved upon is, you know, we had good displays. We didn't, we've never had, you know, junk sitting around the showroom, unfinished walls sitting around the showroom. My dad was always really intentional about finishing, you know, a project as it, as it appeared in the showroom, but the placement and the intentionality behind the location of those projects has, um, has been something that we're working on in the last couple of years. Yeah. That's so good, man. I'm I'm a sign nut. As soon as you start talking about signs like that, dude, I'm I'm all in. So I and it's cool because your showroom is big enough that that there really is is a place for that. Daniel, for you, you know, taking over a, a legacy business, what what do you feel like has been? You you talked about like the core values and like the spiritual sense of of how the business has been formed. What do you feel like was so true to make Sutter stand apart in the market? that you have tried to hold on to and cultivate even more. I was hoping you're going to ask what was the thing that I really contributed to, because man, I'm going to tell you that letterhead is fabulous. <laughs> like I put some work into that and I mean, it wasn't my idea, but I stole it. John and Mike spent over 40 years kind of working the right way to run a business, the right way to run a business, perhaps in my viewpoint is the ability to be a company that takes care of your team, takes care of your partners and takes care of your customers and can be generous and can be open about those things and try to be flexible. Um, but also in addition to that runs their business in a very tight manner in the sense that they're managing profit, cash flow, and accountability. When are the install trucks leaving? And, and do we take care of that customer? And, and do we get that PO out on time? And like all of the things, right? The rote effort of the business, the whirlwind part of the business that like you try to run all of those things, as well as you can, right? And that you don't look at businesses, you know, the zero sum game where like, if you're, if you're not taking it in something you're losing, right? Like, or um, if you're in a relationship with a vendor that, you know, if you have to take a loss because something's gone wrong and they couldn't make it right, and you just want to, you know, beat their door down over it. You don't see it as a marathon. Like there's a lot of people who look at a business that's run that way and say that, you know, that's, it's idealistic or it's naive and can't really do that. And it's not really successful. And, and and I got to be honest, the more that I've been in the higher levels of business and like meeting more business owners and stuff like that, I'm finding that there's actually a lot more businesses out there that are more along the lines of not the zero sum game that are trying to be good, you know, yeah. ethical companies in, in their space and in their community. And we're all human, right? We're imperfect. We, we make our mistakes. But I guess for me, taking from John and Mike, they did try very hard to run a business like that. And when it comes to the customers that I know that come in that have been doing business with Sutter for decades, literally, literally, I'm not, it's not a joke. Like there are people that have bought a wood stove in 1982 from John Minor, right? Like it's the real deal and they're still coming back um, to, you know, the vendors that we do business with or that we've done business with for decades that are, you know, that love us and think that we're a great company, um, you know, being able to take, well, what is that? You know, why is it that way? Right. What, 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 what did John and Mike bring to the table and what did they give to their team to where they could basically exude this, this, this excellence. And 
again, like we're not like a Navy SEAL team. <laughs> like we're not perfect. We're not perfectly orchestrated. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of warts, there's a lot of issues, but that spirit of really trying to do it different and trying to do it better and trying to really care about the outcome uh, is something that's been really important to me. Um, and really just within the last year, have I really been able to start putting my finger on the, the that's something that brings meaning to me about what we do. And I think that we have, um, we're, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of people on our team that feel this way, that think that way. Um, and I certainly, you know, uh, our management team is starting to get more and more dialed in on this type of, you know, what is the, what is the best and highest good for us to execute, right? Like, how do we, how do we make the best decision for the company and for Sutter and the vendor? Like, how do we balance those things? How do we make a hard decision, even if it's going to upset someone, right? Even though we know it's the right path to take, right? Like, um, and those are kind of high ideals. They don't get down to like, oh, here's a good trick for managing cash flow, which I can get into that too, because I've been having to manage that here the last <laughs> few months. But um, I think for me, it's like, I was taught those things by John and Mike. And I think now I've gotten to the point where those are the things I'm taking with me is that legacy and what they tried to do with just running a unique and I, what I'm going to say is an almost a altruistic is not fair, but it's, it's definitely more thoughtful in terms of how we're making our money, right? We still want to be profitable. We're still trying to be the best at what we do. We still want to be competitive, great cash flow, and all of those things, like the things that make a business successful. But at the same time, it's like, how do we make sure that we're also doing the hard work of really taking care of our customers, really taking care of our suppliers, really taking care of our employees, um, and, and, and trying to get all of those things to balance because that's the hard work, right? It's easy to take one of those groups and say, I'm not going to disparage or uh, shortchange uh, one of these other groups, right? Like <laughs> at, at, the, at the advantage of another one, right? Um, so uh, I think that that's kind of, that's the spiritual side of it. That's the part that I'm trying to, it's my next kind of big path right now is trying to get our core yeah. values out there and get our mission and our purpose out there to try to talk about like, who are we? Why do we do what we do? Why does it matter? Why does it matter what we do? And I think yeah. that that's really important. And then to be able to find people who that resonates with, because it resonated with me. And even though I wasn't directly told it necessarily, I sensed it. And now I'm realizing, well, I, I've got to, this has got to be a known thing, right? It's yeah. got to be, this is who we are. This is what we, we have stood for. And this is what we will continue to stand for. Um, and then I believe that the other things flow from that, right? The, the accountability, the you know, let's, how's our profit loss looking? How's our purchasing doing? How's our install teams doing? How's our customer service doing? Like all of those procedural everyday parts of the business flow from trying to get the right people who believe in what you're doing and that are really ready to kind of toe the line, not because it's a paycheck and not because they got to do it because it's their job, but because they like, you know, this eight hours a day that I'm going to spend here, I kind of believe what I'm doing does matter. And I like being community. I want to contribute to it. We'll get back to our conversation with Daniel Hammer and Kyle Titsworth in just one second. Hey, if you've been listening to the podcast this season and thinking about how do I get through another season of craziness, how do I do it every single year? It gets so busy. I don't have the staff to deal with it. And I feel like I'm just running into the same thing year after year. You've got to start taking advantage of Wi-Fi. And most recently, one of the things that we have felt really burdened with is to help companies build a website that serves their customers, gets them leads, and connects people with the products that will work best for them. And I'm not joking. 
as we've started to build websites for companies, it has been unbelievable to see what's come from it. Clients have a really simple way to browse the products that you have available. You can talk about your company in a way that makes sense to your customers and have a website that is custom built for your business to show your customers how you can solve their problem and they understand immediately what to do next. If you want a website that can display fireplaces, make it easy to understand how much a project is going to cost for a customer and even allow them to book an appointment or place a deposit online, you got to check out a Wi-Fi website. I'm not joking when I tell you these things cost about a third of what most of the market charges for a website. We want to help you make the investment in your business. And to do that, you got to get started with a Wi-Fi website. You can do that by going to the website wifire.com. That's w h y f i r e.com. Kyle, for you, you know, and and like you're very young Kyle and and you know, you're in the process of, of, of starting to take on more and more of this of this business that your dad started. How have you been able to rally people to the cause that are that are much older and more experienced than you? It's uh, it's something that I've been working on, um, to tell you the truth. And uh, as as Dan just said, I think it's about creating a a cause that is you know bigger than bigger than us, bigger than myself, bigger than you know. Again, as Dan said, just installing fireplaces or servicing fireplaces and, you know, really going back to, you know, what my dad envisioned at the beginning, you know, our, our tagline or our motto, uh, you know, warming up the community. Um, I think the, you know, the employee, um, as a general sense, gets a, um, a big satisfaction out of knowing that they're really doing something that is important, you know, is giving people the ability to um, have choice and save money and be warm, create value. um, Yeah. Create, create value. Absolutely. It's tough to be young um, and look at 20 employees who are all older than me (laughs) and um, say, Hey guys, like this is what we're going to do today. And it's a little bit easier to say, Hey guys, this is what we're going to do today. And it's because we care about everyone else. And it's because we care about, you know, what we're doing here. Um, And it doesn't come out necessarily in those words, but, you know, Hey, we promise something to these people and, you know, we're going to follow through with it. Um, Yeah. So I've kind of taken that path. Time pressure as the other part of that. Like it's just, you know, your consistent good effort and your consistent accountability and your consistent reliability, starts to build that like i had to fight through i got a guy's work for sutter home and hearth since 1986 i was five when he started working there right and then, right. so that you know yeah. having to win yeah. having to win people over like that like it's time and pressure because it's also time and service that matters you know like there's some of that that becomes a part of it so yeah i i think too like i, I remember for me when i was starting to become a, a manager for the first time and I was managing multiple people and starting to, to manage multiple stores. And I felt really self-conscious. And I remember that there was a, a company event that we had where our Oregon and our Washington stores were going to meet in the middle and have a day of team building and, and training and, and growing. And I was tasked with putting together some of the curriculum for it. 
And so what I did is I shared the traffic count system that we had been using. And, and to this day, like it's like the foundation metric of everything is like tracking door swings and understanding why people are coming in and what we're doing with it. And I put a lot of time and thought into it. And so I kind of stood in front of the group and I felt really nervous because I was just, you know, one person, the youngest. And, and I just kind of got up and was like, hey, this is what we've been doing with our traffic count. Here's why it works. This is what I found from it. And I kind of went through this. And for me, even though I felt really self-conscious, I remember I had a guy come up to me that was in his 60s and he was like, Tim, this is amazing. Like, could we start to do this too? And it was, and it was so encouraging to, to hear that. And I, I, I think about that, that thing of like being young and Kyle, you're young. Me and, me and Daniel are both getting older. I don't know if we're old yet, but we're definitely getting <laughs> close. But I, I think about like, you know, the apostle Paul talking to his protege, Timothy, and he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example in faith and in love and in purity. And the idea is that, you know, if you're young, you don't, don't let someone look down on you and instead set the example of what it should be like, you know, like set the example of what it should be like. And so what you were saying, Daniel, it's like time and pressure that are combined. Like as you, as you continue to champion forward the way it should be, I think that people either come around it or they often self-select out, but that is, that is something that is, um, that's something that's tough. Pretty I want to say real quick, and I think for, it's also important for, again, you know, Tim and I are, I don't know. Are you 40 yet, Tim? You're 40. No, not yet. Yeah. Shut your mouth. All right. Well, I'm 41. <laughs> I'll, be 40, I'll, be, I'll be 42 in September. Yeah. If I can add to that just for one second. It's like, um, you know, the not late, not letting, you know, people look down on you and, you know, I think you were kind of going to like setting an example for, you know, how, um, you know, how work should be done and can be done in the company. You know, we, my dad said this to me, um, you know, a number of years ago, I won't ask anyone to do anything that I wouldn't do. Yeah. And, you know, I've taken that kind of to heart. And when we had to pull out the carpet of the old showroom, you know, we were right there with them. And, yeah. you know, if it's taking out the trash, we were right there with them. And, you know, the guys have said, Hey, you know, like this roof is sketchy. Like I will come out and, you know, I, I hate heights. I don't <laughs> like ladders, but I, I really don't, but you know, I, I won't spec a job and I won't agree to do a job that, you know, I can't see myself going up and getting on. And, um, you know, we've spec some jobs recently that have boom trucks, lifts involved. And, um, I ended up in the in the bucket, you know, um, which is which is fine. But I just think it's important to set the example, right. not only because of my age. Yeah, leading from the front, but not only because of my age, but you know, just because of you know respect and you know, uh, I think maybe because of my age, I have to show these guys that you know I, I respect what they do every day. You have to you, know, you have not, to dispel um, the fact that you're young and that usually what comes along with that is is not being reliable or being impulsive or not or, or or being impatient and those are all very true things right i mean and that's and that's true for i just think that's a part of the deal when you're in your 20s and your 30s when i was 28 it's the same thing for me is like the only reason that i was able to have any real influence over the teams that i ran at that point and in 28 i was running my own store so as a branch manager um and i had some grizzled pirate installers you know on like service tax and stuff that you know answered to me but um but by that point it was like the time i had spent in service and the time i'd spent with them and the time like doing exactly what you're saying is like i'll tear the carpet out like i'm going to be working more than you i'm going to be here before you are i'm going to be on top of this stuff and 
I'm going to try to be patient that um, the hardest thing now, because I've just now learned this. So you got some time, but like I just learned about patience. I feel like in the last couple of years, like everything takes a long time and relationships take a long time and building getting the influence that you want with your team takes more time than you expect it to. And it takes more nuance and it's not a direct thing. And it's, um, and, and again, also it takes an enormous amount of work on your own part to be like, okay, well, I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to try to figure out how to change these things. I want to have a change initiative. How do I get buy-in? And then you realize, well, I can't just write this whole thing myself. Oh, wait, I got to get all these people together and we got to talk about it. Right. If it affects them, right. Like if I'm going to change initiative in the service department, well, you better get your technicians together and have a conversation. Because if you're just going to bring it on down the pike and say, this is what we're doing, you're not going to get buy-in. You know, it's just not going to yeah, work. It and work. It doesn't work. And that, that, that's the patience part of it is like, at some point you got to realize it's like, they're not going to just hop to because it's some good idea and you're really excited about it. And I think when you're younger and I, and I, and again, me at 41, I still get that way. So I'm like, Oh, I got this great idea. And like, I'm just going to do it. And everyone's going to be as excited. As I am it's like, nobody cares about your idea <laughs> unless you get them yeah. involved in it to be a part of the idea. And then they care about it, you know, but that's right. Um, and then it might come out as something that is not, what you expected, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, is it going to get done? Is it going to be better? It's a win, right? You know, like yeah. it's, it's being able to kind of subject your ego a little bit to great, get the ball rolling, right? But your yeah. job is just to get it rolling. And then where it goes, like you want it to get down the hill about in that area, kind of, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 square yards, but how it gets there and exactly where in that 30 to 40 square yards, you probably should just step step aside, just let it get into right. that area, right? right. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I found in trying to win credibility is I feel like if I can solve problems for people to make their life easier, it's amazing how that buys you loyalty, right? It's like if you've got legacy crew members, to be able to talk to them and say, like, what's frustrating about your job? Because most legacy team members will give you everything that's frustrating about it. And if you can actually start to remove some of those barriers, I, like, it's it's amazing how people will go to the wall for the cause buddy like you need to get yourself a mini split in that upper room of yours because you look Dude, like you're you, literally sitting I'm in an oven <laughs> dying i'm dying uh i'm not joking open dude. a window it is, i can't it's 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 literally dude it is literally 100 degrees outside right now my air conditioning does not go into this room and i have to keep my door closed more. you look like a you look like a costco rotisserie chicken <laughs> <laughs> So one of the ways, you know, legacy crew members, they will tell you everything that's wrong with their jobs. But if you can actually go out and remove roadblocks for them or, or do things that make their life easier, I feel like it gains you so much credibility and people will literally like they'll run through a wall for you. And I think that that's something as like a young person that you can take control of. Like you may not be able to change everything, but if you can remove a roadblock for somebody, it's amazing how how they they change their disposition towards you. Yeah, I mean, I'd say like, you know, with uh, I have a, a my lead installer, David's been with Sutter since 1986. And, um, you know, we we had our tussles, man, the guy's real particular and he's a real, real anxious guy about um, outcomes and preparation and all these other things. And he's also he's a, you know, unparalleled installer, great attention to detail, has forgotten more about wood stoves than most people will ever know in their entire life. And that includes actual wood stove installers. One of the biggest, you know, I remember working with him when I first took over the installation department at Sutter Home and realized that one of his biggest problems was getting information in a more a forthright manner and, and, and a little bit sooner relative to the jobs that he had to do. And then so I started trying to work that angle harder in the sense of like, you know, let's, oh, there's a complex job coming up. I'm going to get David's buy-in on this project long before it shows up and he's just got to deal with it, which is something that really would cause him an enormous amount of anxiety and consternation. 
and a lot of heartburn for me because I'd have to listen to the whirlwind basically as he lost his mind the morning before he went out and actually did the job because of course he could do it because he's been doing it for 35 years and there's nothing he can't do but he had to like he had to get his mind around it so uh I worked with him on that and it helped I think a lot in our relationship because David realized that I also cared about him not feeling like he was being ambushed by projects even even if in the back of my mind with my old school training and, and background that it's like just kind of went out there and figured it out which now as I've gotten more experience I realize it's not a that's not a scalable or replicatable way of doing things. You have to have a better system for, you know, sharing information and getting people prepared and so on and so forth. But David helped me see that. And by me also helping him get better support from those departments and in those systems to where he had a better preparation for jobs. Like we had a much better relationship and now we're, you know, very close in terms of how we work stuff. And I, I don't work with him as directly as I used to, because I don't, I have an install manager now and that's what he does. But um, I, I think that that's kind of the idea, right? Is like the ability, like for him, a roadblock was here's this project, figure it out. And David's not that guy. David is not a hey, figure it out kind of guy. He wants to be ready for it. He wants to have digested it. He wants to be able to get out there and execute the best that he possibly can. And for him to do that, he needed that support. And by giving him that support, it brought us closer and had a, 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 created a better working relationship and made it easier for me to lead and work with him. Yeah, I, I hear that 100%. So one thing I'm curious of is this. So both of you are in, are in, you know, similar positions on, on different sides of the country. What's the hardest thing in leadership that you're wrestling with right now, each of you guys? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and I'll say me. I'm the hardest thing. Um, the biggest challenge I have in my leadership is my ability to manage myself and to be better disciplined with my time. Uh, in my effort and, and how focused it can be and how effective it can be for the business. Um, and the, uh, I've, I've come to the limits of my abilities as a doer, um, which is what has gotten me to where I am because I'm a great doer. I can do many things. Um, I can do most things across all departments of my company, um, but I cannot do all things. Um, and if I want the company to grow, I certainly cannot do all things because uh, I, we won't be able to grow. I think we could stay where we are and it would be fine, but I, I don't think it would be as meaningful for me um, or as important to me as if I could figure out a way to scale what Sutter does and try to figure out a bigger picture for us. I have to figure out a way to not feel so conflicted when I have to let things burn or I have to let people you know, struggle to get things figured out if I have other things that I have to focus on and tend to and try to get more disciplined and more focused in my own actions. I'm I'm the number one regulator and governor to the company right now. And mm. I'm, that's my biggest problem. I mean, it's not buy-in. It's not really trying to get people to, to fall in line. Like, I think all of those things will come naturally if I can be more effective at managing myself and becoming a better, better at what I do. And, there, you know, there's this phrase in business, that, you know, and I don't remember what the law is called, but it says um, everyone rises to their own level of incompetence. Oh, the Peter and Principle. And it doesn't mean the Peter Principle. And it doesn't mean generally people will say that like oh this guy's a really poor manager like he's rose to his own level of confidence that's usually how it's used it's actually more effective to realize that we all rise to our own level of confidence the people that don't stay there are the ones who decide oh i'm not good enough for this right i i, I have to work at this i have to improve there are things that i don't see there are angles i don't get um and then now you get to go now the bar rises higher right there's a new level of confidence that you get to get to um, so that, that's the biggest challenge I think for me right now is that I'm realizing that I'm the biggest problem that I've got. And it is, um, it's difficult, even as disciplined as I know that I have to give myself credit for of being, I feel like I'm just a puke when it comes to it. So I'll, I'll piggyback on that. And I'll say, 
the, um, you know, kind of, I guess I'll try to sum it up and say that uh, delegation, you know, is kind of the word that comes to mind. And while I agree with uh, Daniel, and I think that, you know, I can do, I feel like I can do a lot of the things, you know, in the business, I shouldn't be doing a lot of things in the business. And I, um, I need to allow, you know, the management, the people actually, you know, uh, boots on the ground, the installers, the service technicians, the service coordinators, um, the salespeople, I, I need to allow them to work through um, the issues that they have in understanding something and the questions that they need to ask a customer to fully understand a job um, before I jump in and you know, spout out the questions that I've kind of formulated over the last couple of years. Patience. It's patience. So hard. Um, I struggle. I, I struggle big time in in not jumping in. And I think you could ask anyone on my team um, who would say that you know they can they can look at me and I'll, and I'll come running over. Um, you know, for better or for worse. And I I, I don't think that's a that's a that's always the right answer. Um, I think that I should kind of let them flounder um, a little bit or let them, hey, you know, uh, a service guy is talking to a customer right now about a new install, you know, let them do it. Don't yeah. go call the salesperson. Uh, I, I saw that happen this last weekend. Yeah. Um, and then um, the other thing for me is, um, and maybe this is where I was going earlier, but the, 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 the other thing for me is that um, I've been trying to separate myself as, as a friend of all these um the people that work for me um and then um, really become a manager or become the owner and 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 show my expectations in a different way uh, um which is which is tough um yeah. well it's a, it's just a different relationship with everyone in the building well and i'll tell you that i've been meditating on this thing that i read in this book um it's called athena's bridge um it's essays on leadership and uh i can't remember it's michael Candley, i think he wrote it and basically um it's a bunch of essays that he wrote on um basically military leadership and business leadership and how there's uh the science of military leadership has gone back literally thousands of years like it's our first organized research is like how do you win battles like how do you lead battles i mean you know uh, alexander the great was you know writing things down on papyrus about it right like it's it's old it's been around for a long time and then when it comes to business management, we've really been only studying, studying it as a science since the 70s. Um, and the uh, whole idea of this bridge is Michael Kennelly was a professor at the Imperial at the Naval War College. And that's what he did is strategy. That's, that's what he taught. And so this, this book of essays is designed to bring the two worlds together, talking about business leadership as a, and, and things from military leadership that can be brought into business and vice versa. And like the fact that they don't really ever overlap as much as they should, like that's the reason he wrote this book. So there's a part of the book where he says that he distinct, distinguishes the difference between managers and leaders. And he says that management is bestowed. Um, it's something where basically a business has entrusted you to manage yes. the resources of the business. That's a manager. It's something that can be given to you, right? You can say, hey, you've earned this. You're not a manager, right? Leadership is not something that can be bestowed on you. And it's something that is, it's in, it's something you create and it's something internal to you um, that is something that you exude, that you project. And it's something that's yeah. a constant work. It's a, you know, there's certainly the part of like being a good manager uh, um, can be a part of being a good leader, but they can also be mutually exclusive. 
You can be a great manager and be a terrible leader. Like that's a fact. That's right. no, there's no, there's no disagreement on that. So for me, it's been like trying to figure out, well, I'm a, I'm a decent manager. I think I have people that are better managers than me that work for me right now. Um, for sure. Which is good. I think that's a good thing. There's a time back in my past that I wouldn't have liked that as much, but I think I'm starting to realize that's a good thing. But I think it's the leadership part that we have to be working on at this level is that um, we know how to manage resources. What And we have, but we also can find people who can manage resources. What really is the challenge is like, well, how do we lead the company into change initiatives? How do we lead the company into the next big thing? Um, how do we bring people along with us, get them to buy in with us, to believe us, to to be a part of this, to believe that we're going to bring them something better. You know, that was it, is it Stoner who says that about change? It's because people believe that, and he probably took it from somewhere else, but maybe it was, maybe it's a Stoner quote, but it's the idea that like change, people don't like change because they don't believe that it's going to be better than what they got right now. Hmm. And that's the job of a leader is to be able to convince them that like, what I'm going to bring you is going to be better than what you got right now. I think that goes um, back so that's to what you said earlier. It's just, you know, it's, it's, you know, you as the leader has to have to, um, you know, create the core values and the and the mission and everything yeah. like that. And you have to bestow that upon your management team yeah. to disseminate that among, you know, the rest of the employees. And you're no longer doing the, the daily interactions with those with those people. But, you know, but having that, you know, higher, uh, it almost sounds pretentious. It's a high, it, no, it's a higher, higher cause. level. You know, yeah, the higher the higher cause. You know, and in in no means do I mean it to sound pretentious, but uh, we think it's pretentious because someone has told us down the road that that's not the right way to think about business. And I think that that's you know that's where things get lost. Like the ability, it's not pretentious because am I saying that like I I want to create meaning for the people that work at my company. I want to create meaning for myself. I want to create meaning for the people that do business with us. Does that mean that I want them to like work 14 hours a day for me and never see their family? And like, this is all that matters. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying for the eight hours that they're contributing here is like, do they feel like what we're able to provide is meaningful that we're making a difference in people's lives that are, even if it's like just selling popcorn machines, like whatever it is, right? Like, can this business create enough goodness for the people who work there that they can realize this is a good thing. This is a force for good. We have a need for that. And I think that there's been, I think that there's been a either it's a smokescreen um, or it's some some intent to where the idea of like thinking like that is considered to be naive. And I think it is naive if you only think of that and you don't think about I better make sure the bills are paid on time. Right. I better make sure our cash sure. flow is strong. I better make sure we're making a good profit. I better make sure that that installer is really hammered on that job and he's not banking it. Right. Like that's the hard part. Right. Is being able to do both of those things. But it. it it, the, the prudentious part is like, we think that, and I used to think that too, like I'd be so careful about talking about these ideas. And I realize now that it's like, no, you can create meaning. You, it can be a bigger thing. And yeah. it, but it doesn't have to be like, I need your blood. I need your, you know, I need you to sign in blood on this contract. And like, we're going to go off and we're going to dig wells in Nigeria. Like it doesn't have to be that same level of a thing. Somebody is coming and they're contributing eight hours, 10 hours a day of their life. What does that mean? We see, we see each other, you know, as, as a business, we see each other more than we see our families a lot of the time. Booyah. Right. Yeah. It happens. So it's, that's not nothing that matters. So how do you pay yeah. respect to that? As you guys say that, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you can see as I'm holding up our, our core values here because I, I stare at it, you know, anytime I'm up here at my desk. And I, I really think, dude, like people make fun of mission statements and core values. Oh, that's cute. Like, oh, you got those core values. 
And I'm like, dude, this is hardcore business. This is not soft. Like having core values and having a purpose, it will rally people to your cause like nothing else you can do. Like people will work for nothing if they believe in the cause. People will stand by you through thick and thin if they believe in the cause. It's about creating something bigger than yourself. And I think that with like where society is right now, you know, there is so much cynicism and skepticism in our society. It's the air we breathe, dude. People are nihilistic. They feel like life doesn't have a point. We're not here for a long time, just a good time. So live it up. And so like, well, how can you convince people that believe that about the world to like work hard for you? You know, they, they, they can't or won't for very long unless they believe you're in it for something that's more than just pure pleasure and pure profit. And I, and I think that in, I think in, in the coming decades, like the companies that can step up to the plate here are the ones that are going to win, like both in terms of finances and in terms of like happy people to work for them. But I'm even thinking like, I've, I've been reading this book for a while called Bill and Dave, and it's about the the founding of, of Hewlett Packard. And it kind of goes through the decades of HP and dude, back in the 1960s, like, Bill and Dave had like a core values and a mission statement that was like unheard of. No one had anything like that. And, you know, they went from this tiny company in their garage, this like multi-billion dollar thing. And, and, and it was because they said like, this is how we will conduct ourselves and this is why we exist. And like people rally to that. It's that's something that I've been working on in the last um, couple of weeks. We talked about that a little bit before, the show, before I think we started recording, but um, you know, one of uh, one of, of my lead installers came up to me um earlier you know I, it was a, it was a bit in passing and he came up to us um in the office as we were um talking about the day and he said you know our our motto is warming up the community and i'm not even sure what we we're talking about but he goes no you know that's that's what we do we're warming up the community and i i kind of sat back in my chair i was like hell yeah like, this <laughs> right. is awesome you know, like he's behind this. This is, yes. this is like, this guy is the man, you know? And, um, you know, it, it fired me up and, you know, to see that he's fired up about yeah. you know, this, the same thing. And it's, and it, again, what you said, it's beyond the, you know, productivity of the day. It's, it's really the cause of, yeah. you know, the business, which, you know, is the mission and all that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's really good. I guess I would ask you guys, as we start to round out here, what is something that you wish you would have known five years ago that you knew that you know now? I wish I knew I was going to be in this industry five years ago. <laughs> I'm coming up on five, um, you know, uh, in November, literally. I started in 2018. You know, I, I had no idea I was going to be here five years ago. My dad actually probably called me um, while I was traveling about five years ago, probably about to this day. And said, you know, why don't you get a why don't you get a plane ride home? You know, we're we need your help. You know, what do I what do I wish I knew? You know, even a couple of years ago, geez, a lot of things. I think you know, I, I'm not sure I can point on any little you know one particular thing that I that I wish I knew. But you know, what I'm what I'm fortunate for is that I've been able to create a community. Um, you know, Daniel, Tim, um, you know, Matt Bradley. Um, Dave Rettinger, you know, other guys in the industry that all these guys that, you know, we've been able to stand around with. And I, um, we had a night back in uh, San Antonio a couple months, you know, what is that? A couple months ago, a year ago that we were all standing in a circle and I kind of, I, I looked around, I was like, damn, 
I can't believe I'm here. Like I'm, I'm talking to all these guys. This is awesome. You know, I, I, it fires me up that I have the opportunity to be here, you know, among, among you guys, among, you know, guys from the, the central, the central regions, the West coast, South, you know, Canada, all of it. It's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I actually I have a picture of that night. That was that was a special night. That, that's really true. Daniel, for you, what what do you wish you would have known five years ago that you know now? March of 2020, that everything would have felt like it was going to fall apart. 2018. Just, 2018. Now I'm just saying that in March. Oh, what, oh, what, oh what okay. I, what I knew five years ago, okay, March of 2020. It's you'd have bought a lot more inventory. Like you're going to go out of bit. It feels like you're going to go out of business. But just take every dollar you have in the bank and buy as much inventory as you possibly can, yeah. <laughs> and then just go to go go to war for the next two years. Um, and uh, that would have been good. I would have been. It would have been nice. Actually, you know, I could have just made that decision and bought like four hundred patio heaters, <laughs> and I would, yeah. I would have, I would have, I would have already sold Sutter and retired by now if I would have made that call. But um, the, uh, I, you know, I don't know. Five years ago, what do I wish I would have known? Um, you know, I guess part of me would I, I wish I would have known that it was okay to uh, believe in the higher order of business. I think um, five years ago, not to say that I didn't, and then I, I think I've always been kind of a higher ideal kind of guy, and I can really admit that. But I think that really trying to try to figure out a way to get that structure built earlier and really start attacking it at that point would have been, um, I think, could have been more advantageous. Um, but you know, I don't know, like. I think I'm going to caveat this and say this. I'm sitting on a, I don't know, I'm sitting on a bed in my basement at a home that I own, um, talking to um, two brilliant people that I've been blessed to be friends with and colleagues with. Um, I, you know, own a successful business. I have a wonderful wife and child. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, it's been the last couple of months, it's been a little rough for the company, not terrible, but like, you know, some challenges. Um, but overall, you know, you know, I, I could make that same statement for 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. What about when you didn't graduate high school? What about when you didn't like, you know, all the mistakes you made when you were younger? And I realized that every decision I've made so far has led me to this moment right here where I get to sit in this bed, drink a little bit of bourbon and try to reflect on what it means to be a legacy owner of a business. And I guess, you know, I'm glad that I knew what I knew then because now I know what I know now. Um, and you know, I don't really think that there's a whole lot of advantage for me trying to figure out a way to answer that question. I think it's more about, mm. you know, what do I know now and how do I frame that for what I want to try to do going forward? Again, granted, it'd be awesome if I was, you know, as mature as I am now at 41, uh, as I would have been at 26, right. Or at 36, pardon me, has a lot more years. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm probably at 46, you know, I'm going to, there'll be some other thing, right? Like there's going to be something that, you know, if I would have figured out back then, it would have been, it would have been better. But um, so I guess in short, like, I'm not meaning to take away from the question because I think it's a valuable question. But I think for me, like, I'm always really careful with questions like that because I'm pretty happy with where I am. I think that I, I can't think of a, a, an answer to that question that gets me to mature faster and gets me to be in a better position or where I can better know these things. And, you know, maybe there's a clock ticking somewhere that time's going to run out before I can get to that, those final points um, that are going to really help me continue to, like, run this business into the future and, and do all the things that I envisioned down the road. Totally possible. But, you know, I can't really see that on my in my crystal ball. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that for me, too. I, I think, you know, going back five years ago, 
that was that was really like the genesis of this podcast was five years ago. I guess it was about five and a half years ago that kind of it it, it first was starting to get recorded and things. But there was a lot that I I didn't know of like how it would turn out and even like the launch of Wi-Fi and 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 things like that. And I, I think I think for me like what I've really been thinking about a lot, and I think part of it is just getting older too, is realizing that every symphony will be left unfinished. No one, no one gets to complete every, everything they don't, every symphony is going to be left unfinished. And, and realizing that five years ago, I wish I would have understood more that the journey is hopefully very long and it is very hard. It's much harder than you think, but it's actually better than you think too. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that for me early on, even in the early days of, of Wi-Fi and things, was wanting things for it that that take more time and effort to to produce and to craft and and realizing that it really is about falling in love with the process of the creation of something new and amazing than it is any type of like i don't know like quote unquote success that you would have with it because at the end of the day like you know, it's all, it's all left unfinished. So, so you, you need to enjoy the process. And, you know, for me, like, you know, believe that you're a part of something bigger, bigger than yourself. That is, that is what's actually being built. Yeah. Amen. And I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that maybe, you know, the one thing I would say maybe five years ago would be, um, you know, just like, you know, knowing, I guess what I said earlier about what's the biggest problem I have, right. Is being able to recognize that then. Um, but yeah, even then, it's like, I think back then, even then, I knew I was the biggest problem. I just didn't, you know, I feel like every year you get a little better realizing how big of a problem it actually is and how much more work you're really going to have to do to overcome it, you know, and I, um, and, but it's not a bad thing. It's every symphony, every symphony goes unfinished. It's the same idea. Like, we're the symphony. I think that the three of us talking together, like, we are people that are trying to be selfless in how we're running our businesses. And we're trying to realize that the service are, are sub- subjecting our egos to the greater good of what our companies can do and what our families can provide us and all of those other things is the right path. But we're starting to realize that is hard, but I'm starting to realize that life is about difficulty and it's about challenge and it's about discomfort. And that if you can learn that that's the path, then you will find, you'll find happiness. And I believe that and, and trying to, realize that it's never unfinished, that you've always got to work at it, that if you're looking for perfection or if you're looking for some completed goal, like you will only find frustration, you know, and it doesn't mean that you'll never find success. And it doesn't mean that you won't find that next big thing for Wi-Fi or that next big move for fireplace showcase or Sutter. Like you're definitely going to do that. But it's, um, it's like Mike Duvall said, I remember reading one of his things when I was trying to work out the, the principles and the, and the, and the core values for the company he says, you know, like we hit a lot of, what do you say? We had hit a lot of singles. We hit some doubles, some triples and a few home runs, but we always had to get back up to bat, you know? So I don't know, man, like there's something about that. Yeah. I love that. So to close out, what would you guys say to young leaders that are in the industry? Kyle, if someone is 28 years old, like you, they are working in a business that their parents started and they're on the fence about the future um, what would you say to them? And, and Daniel, what would you just say, say to someone who's been working for a company for a long time, almost like you did at your previous job? You know, you, you'd been an installer, you'd, you'd been a manager, but you, you wanted that, you wanted that next thing. Like, what would you guys say to, to young folks? Look up to the people that have, you know, started before you and, you know, think of them as 
you know, your manager, um, as he said, is, you know, as he had any kind of question, he would say, you know, let me hold on, let me ask my manager, um, you know, learn from those people, learn from, you know, uh, the base, the base that they can provide. And then, um, you know, if you're looking to, you know, excel and create change, proceed and um, push the boundaries a little bit. I think conflict can only lead to growth. Um, you know, obviously, uh, conflict that is in good faith and in good intention, um, you know, leads to growth, especially for the young um, leaders out there. Uh, you're going to have people that are older than you. You're going to have people that have been in the business for longer than you've been alive, um, you know, or longer than you've been able to, you know, remember. And, uh, you know, I think we're in a, we're in a fortunate position to bring in new ideas, values, um, you know, mottos, technologies, um, to again, where we started is not to rebuild the foundation, but to hang the artwork, yeah, paint the rooms, you know, reorganize, create that flow. And, um, you know, I, th- I, I, I think we're in a unique position to be able to do that. You know, especially I, I tell people all the time and I had a conversation with my um, my rep from National Chimney, my chimney company the other day. We're, you know, I'm here for another f- almost 40 years. You know, this is this is a, you know, rising tides lifts all ships kind of mentality that I have to maintain. That's important. You know, uh, we're all in this together. We have some we have some troubles as, as an industry that we have to battle as Karen, Karen Luther said it at NHPBA last year, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're underrepresented and um, it's not because we're not there, but it's because we're, we're not showing up on the political um, aspect of things. I think there's a, there's a lot that we can do and, and maybe that's just in the Northeast, but I think there's, you know, there's a lot that we can do, you know, especially as, you know, young educated people. I think, I think there's a lot, a lot ahead of us for the people yeah. that want to do it. Yeah. I think that to, to, to piggyback on that last thing you said, Kyle, like um, we've forgotten as an industry who we are. Yes. I But I have not. And I don't want to say that in an arrogant way, but I mean that like I am here because of who we are. I'm not working in some cubicle in Amazon hiding out and trying to make 250 a year and just like whatever, you know, figure it out. And that's not me, right? The reason I'm still in this industry is because of relationships, because of the people who are in the industry, and because of the fact that we can actually make a difference in the people's lives who come into our company, into our stores. You know, people work here, people do business with us. Um, it matters. It matters that you're a, a place that somebody can come to and they can actually get somebody who cares about what they need, that really actually cares. It's going to make, trying to make a human connection and try to say, let me help you, let me help, let me help understand your problem. You know, I don't even have a solution for that problem, but hey, mate, call this guy, call this other company. Hey, you're not in my area. I know a guy that uh, works in uh, this other town that's like outside of my service range, but they're a good company. Call them. They can do this thing for you. Or the best, obviously, I got the perfect solution. Let me let me help you figure it out, right? That matters. They don't, there's, that is dying. It's not a thing. Yep. It's starting to fall apart. We're part of that. We're the last bastion of human yeah. connection in small business. And in addition to that, the things you were saying earlier, Kyle, like, man, I feel so honored to be in this circle right now, to be in this moment with these people, 
Tim and I, uh, being, I guess, one generation further than you in this industry, you know, you're you're looking up to us or to Tim and, and that squad and these other people you get to spend time with. For Tim and I, like, there are rooms we get to be in, like Craig Newby and Kip Rumens and, like, Deb Hannig and, like, uh, the the folks that, you know, the senior management at HHT or, like, any of these other people that we've actually had the privilege now to go spend time with. And we're like, man, I'm just glad to be in this room, right? Like, we get to feel that and it goes all the way down into the very beginning of that because we get to know who these people are. We do business with them. We get to talk to them. We see them at the trade shows. We get to interact with them. And I think that for the NEHA or an NWHPBA and, and the HPBA as a whole, like it's become this transition of us trying to be more corporatized and more monetized, which is, of course, we're small businesses. We need to be successful. We need to be profitable. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten why this matters. We've forgotten why it's important for there to be a heart store in every small town. It matters, right? And that's that's why there's a cynicism, you know, like Tim and Matt Bradley and I, I think, of, and I'm starting to really pick up this torch about trying to battle cynicism in Gen Z about trying to hire people and trying to get people who really believe in something greater than themselves. We got to battle cynicism in our own industry. Nobody believes yeah. it anymore. Oh, yeah. They don't buy it. They don't see it. Dude, it's you, so easy to make it a zero-sum game, right? It's so easy to make it a game of like, you know, at the manufacturing level or whatever. Well, as long as I get my piece of the pie who cares about everybody else? And it's like, dude, like we are, we're being attacked on every side. And that, that mentality is, is not going to hold up. Right. And that's like, so I think that while she's right, that we're underrepresented legislatively, like, like we need to get out there. We need to get the fight. And I think that NWHPBA is very aggressive about that. I think that the other affiliates are starting to follow suit, but they also haven't had the same amount of pressure. I mean, I'm the board for NWHPBA. Like I get all that. Tim is the president of the OHPBA. Like we're involved on these types of things, but it, it's that's important. But what I think is more important is that our members and the people that are doing what we do remember that this matters. Like it matters. There is meaning in what we do, and I think that the best that the best thing that I can do is try to live that with the company that I've got. And Kyle, that's the thing. That's what you can do. Is like like that. The, I feel just as in awe and just as grateful when I get to kick it with you and with Tim at a UBG thing, right? Like it matters to me. Like, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, why do, why, yeah. why do I get to have this moment? Right. So for us to kind of remember that that's there and that it's a real thing. And then, and then, then, then the reason that we have it is because this industry is what can keep us like making sure that we're maintaining that and trying to spread that, that to other people. And I think there needs to be a more concerted effort over time for us to try to bring this back. Right. So, yeah. um, but anyway, so I'm sorry, I digress on that, but it's like, it's been weighing a lot on me, especially when I'm thinking about our core values and what I want for Sutter in the future. Like this is part of that. There's not a lot of businesses that can offer the things that we get in this industry and can offer the same thing to the community that your business is a part of that ours can. So it's just a big deal to me. You know, that Daniel, that, that reminds me, this is probably my first or second day on the job when I started working for Lysak's Fireplace in Portland. This is well over a decade ago. There's a legendary sales rep from the Pacific Northwest named Andy Todd, who Daniel's really familiar with. And Andy came in to do some training with me. And he told me, he said, the local fireplace store is the last frontier of the sole proprietor. And yeah, I really, I think, he, I think he's right. You know, if you, if you look at our, our world, it's, it, Amazon and giant corporations are taking over so many things. It's small businesses, it's harder and harder for them to maintain their value wedge and be present. It's not that it can't be done, but 
I think that there is something to that. Like, you know, you can have not done a lot of things right in your life. And you know what you can do? You can start a fireplace store. You can actually make a great place to work that serves people and customers and makes you a great living. Like, you can't just walk that same path and say, I'm just gonna become a doctor, you know? Oh, I'm just I'm just gonna become a lawyer. You know, you can't you can't do that. And and actually you you can't just say, Well, I'm gonna start working at Amazon. I'm just gonna work my way up to the top. You can't do that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know? But you you can do that at, at a fireplace business. Daniel, what advice would you give to someone that is young in our industry that's been working as the install manager for a long time, but they, they want more. They're looking for something more. I think that I would say that you need to be patient, but you need to be prudent. And what I mean by that is like, you know, if you're uh, always the handmaiden in waiting, right, to try to like get your opportunity to buy this company um, or be in that position to where maybe you can become the owner, like maybe you work for an owner that like, I am happy being this guy's tenant. God bless, because that's an amazing position to be in. And at some point things will, they, the cycle will will turn and you'll probably get that position. I think it's very important to try to think um, logically and to think objectively, like, am I in the right place for, you know, for my skills and what I believe in um, and what matters to me? Like, am I working for the right owner? Am I working for the right boss? Am I going to get the opportunity to move forward in the way that I want to? And that's a really hard question. And, and if you if the answer to that question ends up being like, you know, I really care about what I'm doing. I really care about my skill set. I really care about improving. I really care about contributing to my install team or contributing to the folks that I'm responsible for. But I just don't feel like that's reflected with the folks that I'm working for. Leave. And realize that if you leave, you will be fine. That you somebody else will pick you up and you'll get another shot at it. But if you sit there and wait to try to figure out how to make it work with a company that just isn't reflective of like, you know, what's what what you really would like to see or or you don't have um you know, you don't have that connection that you think that you might want to have with the people that are your bosses or their bosses. Um, it's important for you to take the leap and get out of there um, yeah. because you won't find what you're looking for. Um, now, on the other side of it, when you do find a place that you have found what you're looking for, um, then it's about being patient and it's about recognizing that you can't change things overnight, um, that you're going to want to. I remember walking into John Miner's office, who's my former boss, um, after I'd been on the job for about three weeks and just looking at their operation and yeah, I'd been to business school and I've been doing this for 10 years and I was a senior manager and we did things different. And I am going in there to tell them about like, man, you know, with how far out your estimates are, right? How busy you guys are, like customers are like having to wait so long uh, you know, like there, there must be a cash crunch, right? There, there must be some kind of disconnect between, you know, with the work coming in and the work going out. I don't know what I was talking about, but I just was, you know, wanted to be an estimator and I let me get in there and do this. I remember John Miner just like, what have you been doing? Three weeks? Like, get out of my office. That was basically, <laughs> that was basically the conversation. And, and John Miner's from New England, man. Like, he's like your old man a little bit, uh, Kyle. Like, yeah. he's got that, like that. He's just, he put it to me. And I remember just like being pissed. Man, I was so mad about that. And like, like this guy doesn't know. What he, and who am I? This guy's been running this company for 35 years by this point, right? Like, he's got to figure it out. Like, I, who am I? Like, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to solve all these problems. And I remember a couple weeks later, we had just moved showrooms, right? Like, we'd been on Ballard Avenue, which is down in Seattle, North, North Seattle, for whatever, 35 years or 32 years or whatever it was at that point. And now we moved to this new showroom that was further uh, up another kind of main arterial away from Ballard Avenue. And it was a better location, had a warehouse, did the whole thing, right? 
and we have the grand reopening and I help them like get the showroom ready and do all these different things. And we do the ground reopening and I show up at the grand reopening cause I got to help do the thing. And, uh, Mike Duvall's there. Who's the other owner that I bought the comfort and John Miner's there. Um, the Sounders band is there. The band who plays the brass band who plays on the field for the Sounders soccer team in Seattle was there. The press was there. Craig Newby was there cooking hamburgers on a twin Eagles for people. And there's, there's customers and people coming from all over the place. Mike Duvall's on the radio, like giving a big announcement. And I'm looking around at this and I go, I don't know. shit. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea. And I went up to John minor and I apologized to him. as like, dude, I am sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just going to sit back and I'm just going to pay attention and I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn. And I'm going to try to figure out how to do even anything, even close to what you guys are doing right now. And uh, I think John Minor took that. Well, I mean, here I am, right? I own the company now. So it must have meant something. Maybe he totally forgot it by now. I have no idea. But it meant a lot to me. So to me, the second part is patience. The patience part is like you find the right spot. You don't know everything. Work on yourself. Work on taking care of others. Work on taking care of your team. And the rest of itself is going to work itself out for sure. Um, and uh, the prudence part, again, is like being making judicious decisions. And if you're not in the right place, you got to make a decision to move on and yeah. realize you're going to be okay. And uh, even if your whole world built around what you do, you will find that if you move on, you will find if you're there, if you are really doing what you believe that you're doing and you're working on yourself and you're contributing at a level that really is meaningful and you're really being honest with yourself, you will be able to do that somewhere else for sure. So. Those would be my two things that I would say, prudence and patience. Get to the right place, be patient. And if you're not in the right place, be prudent and make a, a strong decision and move on and try to make sure that you're doing the right thing. Well, guys, this has been an awesome conversation. My one requirement was that we all enjoy a glass of whiskey together over the internet. And I think that we have done that. And I'm excited for doing it in person next time we see each other. It'll be in Nashville and in Florida this year. So, guys, thank you. I, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your wisdom. And uh, and I mean it when I say this, that I, I respect both you guys and, and you're doing amazing things. So thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Well, I hope you guys got a ton of value out of that conversation. It was so awesome to get to chat with Kyle and Daniel. And, you know, both of them have become just really good friends of mine. And and every time I get the opportunity in person to hang out, I'm just better for it. You can tell from the conversation that these guys bring a lot of wisdom to the table. And in particular, you know, I think it's just so cool to see Kyle at a young age just taking up the mantle and and just having a posture of humility as, as he's learning to lead his business. And it's, it's been really, really cool to see that journey that, that he's been on. You know, some of the things that I think are really important to talk about is you listen to Daniel speak about breathing life into the company by standing for something bigger than just profit, just the bottom line, just making you money. I, I think that that is so important. You know, we, we, we talked towards the end of the conversation that having core values and having a, a purpose that is bigger than just yourself that that's not frilly fancy foofy stuff like that's actually hardcore business it really is when you can call people to be a part of something that serves a higher cause and has purpose and meaning it is amazing how people rally to the cause and i i think that there is so much wisdom in what he's talking about you know when 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 kyle was discussing how when you start a business it is so difficult to delegate because 
you know, you want to do everything yourself and, and, and you're the one that knows where everything is. And the example, right, if you're framing up the house, you know where the hammer is, you know where that stud is in the wall. You don't need the stud finder because you were the one that put it up there originally. It's just not true with an incoming generation, though, as the second generation or third generation owner or leader coming in. You weren't there when the house was framed. So you need a stud finder to figure out, you know, where that study is behind the wall. There's there's things that need to be true in your business as a second and third generation owner that were not true in the first generation. And I think that this is something in our industry that we have a really hard time with. Many first generation owners are not able to see past their own reach. And the result of that is that they they bring people in to quote unquote help out, but they don't actually delegate responsibility. And it's it's the model of being the lone genius with a thousand helpers, as Jim Collins says. And 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 that might be effective for as long as you want to stay on the treadmill and run at full speed. But as soon as you want a break, you you're not able to do that because your people can't carry the weight. And I think what Kyle and what Daniel are building is so awesome because they're looking to invest in their leaders and create a team that's able to rise and fall together. And and I think it's one of those things of like, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that means that you're going to operate at a much slower pace than what you would do by yourself, right? Daniel had a really good comment about how, you know, I want to change the letterhead. I got this great idea. But it's not that simple. It, it's got to go through the chain of command, even though I'm the owner, even though I'm the leader. It has to go through the chain of command because we need buy-in from the group. It can't just be my idea. It has to be our idea. And this is really hard for visionary leaders. Many visionary leaders, they think about the next big thing. They want to do this. They want to do this. But they don't take anybody with them. And I think that as a leader, one of the biggest skills that you need to learn to adopt is how to get an idea to spread within your company. And as Daniel was talking about, it's often identifying a much broader area of where you want to go and then giving the idea to the team and allowing them to shape it and to mold it. And you might not end up at exactly where you thought you'd go, but you're doing it together. And what I found for me is, is most of the time, the idea ends up much better than it would have been on my own. And, and we're doing it together. You know, the, the comment that I made at the end about what Andy Todd told me, how our industry is it, the last frontier of the sole proprietor. Man, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And and one of the cool things is that over the last number of months, I've, I've been doing quite a bit of travel. And, and I'm seeing young men and young women from all all over North America, stepping up to the plate to start to run these businesses. They're taking over for their parents. They're buying out the original owner. And it's so cool to see these people as sole proprietors coming in and, and starting to be able to, to turn these businesses into something that takes care of them and blesses their employees and, and continues to serve their customers. And like Daniel was saying, that, that means something. There's something that our industry offers that you, you can't get many other places. You know, like, like I said, if you maybe make some poor decisions in life and you want to go get a job at Amazon, I mean, you know, good luck because that, that company's not looking out for your best interests. They're, they're not looking to, to take care of you long term. You know, they're, they're looking to get you to do more for less money and outsource your job as soon as possible. And that's not what our industry is. Our industry is kind of a call to the misfit. 
we're, we're a call to the person that maybe hasn't had the best breaks in life, whether it's due to their own choice or not. And now they're in a position where they, they want to make something of themselves and they want to serve people. And, and our industry really does offer that. And I, I think it's something that needs to be protected. You know, Daniel's comment at the end is, is haunting. He said, our industry has forgotten who we are, but I haven't. And, and I think there's something to that. And, and what's cool is I'm seeing it more and more as I travel. Other like-minded people at all levels of the industry, retailers, distributors, manufacturers, even at the association levels, where there are people who have not forgotten who we are. And I, I think that the way this movement spreads is it spreads together. It's, it's all of us together saying, no, this is what we're going to stand for. It, it, it's a rising tide that raises all ships. And we're going to fight for our industry. And, and we're going to help each other. Because if, if we're not looking out for the folks in our industry, who is? I think there's a lot of wisdom in that conversation today. And, and my hope is that, you know, kind of pulling the curtain back into a conversation on, on leadership amongst friends is something that, that gives you encouragement for where you're at. And, and makes you think, okay, there's other people like me. And, and I guess just on that note, one of the things that has been really cool about this relationship, and, and we mentioned a handful of people during the podcast that we've been able to grow in relationship with, you know, I would encourage you, find community around you in our industry. You don't have to go it alone. And, and if, if you're thinking about ways to make your business better and to help our industry grow and, and change and evolve... There's other people around you that are too, and I would encourage you to intentionally seek out those relationships. So I think there's a lot of really, really good stuff here, and I hope you got a lot of value out of it. Well, hey, if this podcast today was a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. And we say this most weeks, but we are seriously so thankful to those of you who contribute. This podcast operates on a shoestring budget. And it, it's because of your support, and we're really thankful for that. It allows us to, you know, invest in equipment that makes the podcast sound nice and edit episodes to where they're giving you value and, and, and plan out our seasons ahead of time to make sure that, that we get the right people on. And, and our hope is that the podcast continues to evolve with your business to serve you and help you invest in your people and in your team to grow a business that you can be proud of. So with all that said, I'm going to sign off. I hope you guys have an amazing week. And we'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. to burn.